right. How you doing, Brian? Well, you know, that's, I'm I'm game for surprises, and, and today was one of them. Uh, it kind of uh, surprised me with uh, our topic. I, I thought we were going one direction. You pulled the rug out from under me, and we went a decidedly different direction. And next thing I know, we're talking about millennials and what what does all that mean? How do we define it? You know, what's that mean for the workforce? Uh, how do you lead with uh, intergenerational teams? So uh, it was fun. It took us a lot of directions that uh, I hadn't originally anticipated when I thought we were going to be talking about a completely different topic. Hey, that's I like to keep you on your toes, you know. I was zigging when you should have been zagging, right? (laughs) 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 No, and I think we we went the range from millennials to, you know, leading, you know, across generations to growth mindset we, we we went all kinds of directions there and um you know it's it's a bit different from you know a lot of our other podcasts i i would say but i i think um our listeners are going to really enjoy it i think so too and it's uh it's a sign of the times how many you know honestly i i wrote uh, a blog post uh called everything new is old again yes i twisted that around from the the common phrasing um, and that was, I think, back in 2016, you know, and that was on the topic of millennials at a time where I thought it was already a pretty tired, well-beaten <laughs> topic. And uh, the amount that I continue to see that uh, phrase uh, cropping up still, uh, I guess it's always a little bit surprising to me. Um, but I like the conversation that we were able to dialogue on around it and really getting to some definitions and uh, really bringing some things to the forefront, I think, that uh, – hopefully defy some of the conventional uh, perception about what it is and what it means. <laughs> well, it's, it's a great conversation. You know, I had even heard the phrase, I don't know, maybe a year or two ago of second wave millennials. So, um, <laughs> you know, it's just the topic that, that keeps on giving. <laughs> Love it. All right. Onward ho. Millennial chit chat. All right. Thanks for joining us for another edition of Lead.exe. I'm Brian Comerford in Denver, Colorado. And I'm Nick Lozano in Washington, D.C. And today is an episode all about winging it. We're uh, in freeform mode, and it's just me and Nick, and uh, we're going to take the conversation where it may lead us. Yeah, you know, we, we haven't done one of these in a while, and I always feel like when we kind of, you know, just have a conversation, we always kind of have some, you know, great great conversation when we come off the air with guests <laughs> or like before with guests. So I figured, you know, like, hey, why don't we just kind of do, do one of these and see where it goes? And I kind of want to ask you a question, Brian, and it's a topic that people talk about all the time, and it's millennials, right? Oh, dear. Yeah, see your your eyes rolled. I saw your eyes roll in the back of your head. And for some reason, there is this stigma with millennials, right, where people think that millennials are A, lazy, right? B, they always go at home. C, they want to know why they're doing everything. Um, You know, I just want to see what your thoughts are on millennials and when you hear that conversation brought up in conversation. First impression for me when I hear the term millennials flung out there is there's there's something else going on. <laughs> you know, I don't know if it's personal fear, if it's, uh, you know, part of what I think is just one of those uh, social tendencies um, to always want to distinguish between the other. 
right? And uh, and it's it's part of how you know we do social ranking. I mean, that's uh, that that probably goes back to days when we lived in caves and sat around fires and you know had a had a pecking order, uh, you know, based on uh, uh, our, our tribal associations. But to me, the fixation on millennials as if there is this new differentiating force um, that suddenly has to be reckoned with. Uh, it's something that, on the one hand, I, I think we can thank marketing firms for uh, because they've successfully <laughs> uh, raised, you know, they've they've elevated this demographic to the uh, level of awareness for uh, the general public that, uh, you know, hey, here's here's a new group with uh, a lot of buying power, right? Mm-hmm. They're out there, uh, you know, as influencers and making decisions and, you know, driving um, behaviors uh, across a lot of dimensions. Um, but yeah, there, there tends to be this perception and I, you know, maybe it goes back to when marketing started targeting millennials um, that these are kids in college or kids just out of college and that perception has been dragging along now for over a decade. (laughs) When when I think if you actually look at the uh, timeline for where the generational slicing, you know, occurs, uh, we kind of missed the mark on, you know, who do we think are college kids here? So, uh, so to me, it, it, it tends to be more of an indicator of there's some inherent fear Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, and it's a way to distinguish there's this other group out there that's the other. Um, I'll kind of start there because, you know, there's a lot of ways we can go with this. But I'm kind of interested to throw the question right back at you and hear your definition. Oh, yeah. That's how you do it, Brian, huh? Well, (laughs) I think for me, sometimes I'm in that millennial generation. Sometimes I'm not. Um, I guess it just depends on who who does the math and where I am. um, but, but you know, all those things that we hear about millennials, and, and I think when, when people talk about millennials, they're really talking about recent college graduates, right? It, and somehow a recent college graduate just got ping-termed as a millennial, right? And it's just kind of carrying on, like you said, for the past 10, 10 years or so. But um, some, some of the things we hear about them, right, it's like they want to know why they're doing something. They want to be behind a cause, right? But doesn't everybody want that, right? Don't they want to be valued at work, be doing something that they want to do, you know, be doing something that they want to do? That's That hasn't changed over any generation of time. I feel like people have always, you know, wanted to feel like they're doing something of worth, right? <laughs> um, and, and like I said, I th- it's, it's just really, you know, people just kind of pigeonholing people to try and put them in, in generational shift classes, I would think. Right. Um, and, and I, there's this great comic called XKCD. Um, and you know, they had this whole thing on millennials and, you know, it's like one guy talking to the other one. He's like, you know, when millennials and he's like, well, well, wait, he's like, most millennials can't answer you because you know, they're off taking their, their children to college now. <laughs> He's like, so maybe you're not, maybe they're not the ones who failed to change. Maybe it's you. <laughs> right. Perfect. But, yeah. you know, when we talk about those things, I think, you know, everything that you, if you were to take every saying that people say about millennials and just strip millennial off of it and just talk about people in general, those are things that people want as a whole is what I've noticed, not just millennials. 
Well, I think there's, I, I think everything that you said is sound. And, um, I, you know, I think there's a couple different delineations with it. One is uh, millennials. They're the ones that are forcing this change that the rest of us want to be, you know, steeped in inertia to resist. <laughs> and yeah. No one ever comes out and says that, right? It's like, no, nah, you know, the problem is really my stodgy generation is change averse. Um, that's not a phrase that you hear rolling off the tongue, right? <laughs> <laughs> Folks would rather say, uh, you know, there's this, you know, new wave, uh, you know, that's um, sort of being foisted upon us because millennials have these preferences and, you know, mm -hmm. there's all, all this entitlement that comes with it. And, you know, they want to work flex hours and yada, 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 all these things that um, I think to your point, uh, it, it's really, it's, it's sort of. Uh, you know, I guess we could blame Apple more than anything as, you know, being a leading corporate force for, you know, sort of setting some of those, uh, you know, prerogatives for uh, workforce, or maybe it's more Google, right? Mm -hmm. um, I want to make sure that I've got my, you know, vegetarian cuisine in the work cafeteria right after my massage. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but, but those are things, you know, you know, my father's of a generation where, uh, you know, he was really squarely in a, um, uh, you know, a, a work style where one person could support an entire family off of a single, you know, worker's salary. Um, and those things really started to change and level off sometime in the 1970s, 1980s, um, and part of it became, you know, because we really had a mixed gender workforce uh, in this country, especially um, where, you know, companies realized, well, we don't have to give as many perks. And, uh, you know, unions are not as much of a force to be reckoned with as any longer uh, mm -hmm. in terms of helping to uh, create standards for, um, you know, what the working class demands. So, you know, millennials, I think, have just been able to be targeted as this demographic where, um, you know, everyone wants this thing that's sort of focused around what makes you uh, feel like you're getting, you know, the most out of your engagement from a job um, that, uh, you know, that, I mean, ultimately, all of us should really be knocking on the doors of our bosses, <laughs> asking yeah. for some of these things, if we're not getting it from our corporate culture already. And, and we have seen some of these imperatives really starting to uh, shift the way that a lot of companies uh, like to advertise themselves and really try to infuse some of those values into their culture. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, you know, I get positioned uh, squarely in Gen X, uh, and I can say, you know, for, for my generation, there was uh, a lot of that, you know, initial... Um, you know, we get to wear jeans on Fridays, you know, and <laughs> <laughs> things, you know, things that were sort of like, you know, some some early indicators of this same sort of thing. But, you know, certainly flex hours, remote work. I mean, a lot of this, I think, just coincided with the rise of technology. Some people work in industries and company types that were not impacted by that until much later. And suddenly the outcry is, oh, it's all associated with this one generation. Whereas I think a lot of it's really just, it, you know, it's kind of like that fifth wave, right? There's mm -hmm. there are all of these things sort of coalescing at the same time that are causing a massive cultural shift. Yeah, and I think, it, like you said, it's 
the internet has made it easier for people collectively to find other people like themselves, right? It's it's not that, you know, Generation X or Baby Boomer Generation um, or Y or anything like that didn't want, you know, have flex days and all this stuff. They just couldn't have their voice heard as easily across some type of spectrum, right? You know, before when you were stuck to probably your small city or your small town or, or a big city, even like New York, you know, you're stuck in your boroughs, right? You didn't know what the rest of the, the city was thinking, <laughs> But so let, let's take this back to a technology perspective and, and hiring and, and finding talent. And, you know, us, us as technology leaders, we're always looking for young, young talent, right? Where's the young talent? Um, and, and then we always kind of seem to forget about the older generation who might be 55, 60, who's looking for a job, might be a network systems engineer. Um, and sometimes when people are looking at resumes like that, they have a tendency to look negatively on them. Um, where I don't see age as a diminishing factor, I see that as somebody who has a lot of experience that they can bring to the table with a completely different perspective than somebody who is a millennial. Um, what, what do you have thoughts on that? I mean, because I know on the technology sector, we, we tend to try to hire young, bringing in young talent. But, but what about that older talent, you know, the more experienced talent? <laughs> I guess we'll, put, we'll say it that way. <laughs> what about us old codgers? <laughs> so, uh, so I would say that two of the, the key players on my current team, you know, they are all older than me by somewhere between 10 and 15 years. Um, and, you know, I know you and I have also um, talked both together as well as with uh, one of our prior guests on the show, Peter Lynch, about, you know, having those mentorship relationships, um, you know, both up and down um, the uh, demographic chain, uh, as well as the experience chain. And, you know, I think that there is a lot of perspective uh, that comes with having, you know, a more seasoned person uh, on your team. Now, that can be a hindrance if you've got someone who has been out of the workforce for 15 years, um, particularly in technology, and now they're just trying to get back in. Uh, that perspective may be uh, so stale that it's harmful uh, because there, there are just so many things that have changed. Um, but uh, if you've got someone who's who's maintained some consistency within um the technology industry and, you know, they're just looking to have a fresh start, you know, for whatever reason, because of where they're at currently in their career. Um, I, I think there's a lot of value to bringing in folks uh, who are of an older uh, age demographic. So, Brian, how do you handle leading a multi-generational team where you might have talent that is... Um, you know, recently out of college or maybe a high school graduate nowadays with some technology certificates and people able to get, you know, six figure, six figure jobs with just some certificates um, to all the way having a senior executive VP of, you know, technology or operations or something who might be in their late 60s. You know, it's interesting, Nick, in my experience, I, I have worked with a lot of different types of people and it kind of doesn't matter where you fall in the age spectrum or the generation spectrum. 
I think the key challenge tends to be the same, which is getting people to listen effectively. <laughs> and not not necessarily listen to me, but listen to each other. Uh, mm-hmm. Have have conversations where they're uh, you know they have an open mind um, in technology. We know that there's a lot of different approaches to be able to solve the same type of issue. Um, some of them are based on preferences. Some of them are based on prior experience. Um, doesn't mean that any one solution is necessarily better than any of the others. There are uh, a variety of ways that you can skin a cat, as they say. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, I think to some degree, uh, sometimes working with uh, older generation folks is very analogous to working with younger generation folks in that they they both have uh, sort of, um, uh, you know, comparable uh closed mindedness <laughs> to being able <laughs> to listen to fresh ideas uh i think on the one end of the spectrum you know if you're older you feel like you have an understanding of what's tried and true and you're uh, often suspicious of the latest and greatest and sometimes that's with good reason you know how many times have we applied the latest update for something that's supposed to create a fix for something else that's been nagging us for a while only to realize that we've added three brand new problems to the mix because of all the other stuff that wasn't properly tested, apparently, with the, the latest update. Um, but then on the other side, you know, you've got a younger generation who tends to have a pretty cavalier attitude that, hey, man, I'm trained up in all the latest and greatest. You know, uh, I know all of these uh, methods and approaches that, you know, they're new school and new school is always better than old school. Um, I, I find that that balance you know, that I like to call teachable old school is <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, often uh, a good place to be. Um, you know, I've uh, I've worked with some folks who are of an older generation who they will ask as many questions as possible and sponge up as much information from folks who are dialed into what are the newest techniques, what's the latest syntax, you know, uh, what are all of these um, different approaches and, you know, new software applications. I mean, all these things that we can do, um, they want to know and they want to be effective. And um, they're not afraid, uh, you know, to interact with folks just because, you know, someone on the team is 20 or 30 years younger than them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, so I think it, you know, to me, it always tends to go back to mindset and um, you know, that's, that's true of the organization as much as it is for uh, your technology team. It's my two cents. <laughs> yeah, I like what you said right there. And I'll um, take a quote from Jordan Peterson, who can be a pretty polarizing people. I get polarizing figure these these days. But um, one of his things is like he says, assume that the person across from you knows something that you don't know. And that goes back to the mindset, right? So assume that the person you're talking to probably knows something you don't know. The younger generation might be more hip and up on, you know, the newest language and the older generation has been through it, right? Deployed things, watch stuff blow up, lived through it. So, hey, you know, might, we, we might want to fail cautiously here, right? instead of just failing fast to fail fast. <laughs> yeah, and you know, to that point Nick, I think sometimes maybe a more dangerous constraint that I've seen is once people are emboldened with a title and you know, typically that means some kind of supervisory title. 
it's almost like it closes the door on their willingness to ever be considered wrong. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I've actually had probably more problems with team interactions because somebody, you know, paints themselves into a corner trying to pretend that they know something they don't rather than just, you know, admitting in full disclosure. Um, oh, really? You know, I didn't, I didn't realize that's the way that that was designed to work or, yeah. you know, I didn't think that we could fix it, you know, in the way that you just described, but, you know, if that's something that we can do, you know, I'm willing to give it a try. So again, it's, you know, it's that openness of mindset to me. Uh, and then the flip side of that, I think is, you know, having, uh, an inquisitive approach and, uh, you know, one of our earlier guests, uh, Tommy Reed, you know, in his organizational mm -hmm. design practice, he talked about, you know, when he's in meetings, he, he tends to scribble on a piece of paper just as a reminder for himself, Q slash R, wait, what is it? No, sorry, Q slash S slash R, right? And, uh, and I asked him what that meant. And he said, it's question to statement ratio, right? How many times am I leading with a question versus I'm leading with a statement? And so it's, again, to me, that that's part of that uh, inquisitive mindset where uh, if you're coming into a meeting and you're saying, well, hey, what about if we did this? Or, you know, have we thought about trying this? Or maybe this isn't a technology problem that we're trying to solve at all. What if mm -hmm. we looked at these other things related to process? Or, you know, what if we just shook up the way that this team was structured? You know, those are the things that can lead you to some solution engineering that uh, oftentimes, you know, end up being a much better sustainable long-term fit versus, being obstinate and coming in and, you know, demanding that this is the way that it's going to be. And this is the way that the ITIL framework dictates how it should work, <laughs> you know, things where um, all, all of those, you know, approaches can be beneficial in certain circumstances. But if you're just going to use it to shut down any kind of dialogue uh, and, you know, stop anyone from asking questions, uh, ultimately that starts to erode the entire culture, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and it, it permeates into everything where it's like, ah, oh, we just don't ask questions around here. You know, it's, there's only a couple of folks here who can call the shots and we just have to do it that way. I know that there's a better way, you know, I've played around with this other thing over here, but you know, no one's listening to me. So we're just going to have to do it this other way. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I really like that. I, th I think it goes back to being a leader, being humble, right? And knowing that once you've reached that leadership role, um, you're more separated from the day-to-day -day task. And, and from a technology perspective, you're more separated from the new technologies that have come out. And that, that's why, you know, you have the director of operations and of IT and of, you know, your, your lead systems engineer. You, you have those experts to lean on to help you make those decisions, right? Um, at least for me, I'm, I'm more... Um, you know, respectful of somebody, I guess not respectful, but I, I guess I said, I, I really appreciate when somebody tells me they don't know the answer to something, right? I mean, how often do we hear that, you know, where leaders sit in the room, he just has to have an answer for it. I, I really enjoy when somebody's like, well, I don't know. What, what do you think? Because that's what you're here for. I don't know anything about, you know, Microsoft Teams. What, what do you think about that? <laughs> you know, a VP of something, you don't have time to, you know, sit down <laughs> with the weeds of the details of, of what's going on with a specific technology. But that's why you have your staff around you. Um, and you got to kind of 
foster them into that to let them um, help you, you know, right? Make decisions. That's what your team's there for. What, that's what you have a team for, not to make every decision known to man and micromanage them. <laughs> Amen to that. Well, and, you know, trust, I guess, is is that other factor that, um, you know, as we're talking about, in particular, those intergenerational relationships. Um, if you have the trust that, uh, you know, someone comes into your organization and maybe they are just out of school, maybe they did just get their certification, you know, maybe maybe they do have a, a brand new shiny degree um, that they're anxious to put on the wall of their first corporate cube or whatever, <laughs> <laughs> but they don't have a lot of experience to back up, you know, some of the things that they know. Uh, doesn't diminish the fact that they actually might have some valuable knowledge worth mining. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, in order to establish trust between existing team members, you know, who they may already be sort of dug in, you know, to your team, they and they can read each other, right? Um, I know you and I have talked about this in the recent UpPath training, uh, with the uh, Tuckman's model, right? Mm -hmm. Where you've, you've got the classic uh, forming, storming, norming, performing. Well, the, those cycles, it's not like it just happens once and you only go through one of those, you know, phases one time and then you're done. And, you know, once, once we make it through norming, man, we're on to performing and that's it. It's no, you know, every time you've got a change within your team, you know, that dynamic can be altered. And, uh, mm -hmm. and so you have to anticipate that there's, you know, a little bit of that getting to know you phase again, but part of how you can help mitigate some of the storming is to establish trust early. And part of that can be, hey, let's bring in this new team member. Let's sit down and have a discussion around, you know, some of these things that are on this project. Um, a, a lot of times, if you've got something in your project backlog that looks like scraps, right? And that can often be something that where you can quickly find a couple of good candidates for someone who's new to the team and you deliberately pair them up with someone else who's more senior or, you know, who has a complementary skill set so that it sort of forces both of them into a mode of, of working, you know, with someone where each of them may be getting pulled outside of their element a little bit, or maybe it's something that, you know, a project where neither of them necessarily have the specific expertise for what that is, it's going to force them into a mode where they really have to dialogue together. They really have to collaborate to create a solution. Um, can it backfire on you? Yeah, absolutely. But you know, the number of times that you end up being pleasantly surprised because you see a couple of people go off and you know, the strengths of one and you, you know, you suspect the strengths of the other based on, you know, your recruiting process, and then all of a sudden you go see the magic, you know, starting to to work on whatever the issue is. And then the pride that comes back, the relationship that get, gets formed um, as a basis of that trust that's created because you got to see two people, you know, pairing up together and having that sort of synergistic flow working together. No, I really like that. Kind of brings me back to a saying, 
you and I had. I don't, I don't know if we said on a podcast or maybe we were speaking, you know, off air some some other time. But it was like do hard things and do them together, right? Yeah. Doing very hard things as a team has a tendency to bring your team closer together. Um, at, at least it has for me in my career, even in technology and outside of technology. Just doing things that are extremely difficult and hard with other people just kind of has a tendency to bond them together. And hard doesn't have to be, you know, building a rocket to go to the moon. Hard can just be, uh, you know, organizing something that looks different than anything that you've ever tried before, right? Exactly. I mean, this podcast could even be a perfect example for us, you know, right? It's, uh, you know, well, how hard could it be? Well, we're going to find out once we start trying, you know. (laughs) There's a lot of steps that, you know, maybe weren't really top of mind when we began. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> exactly and 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 you know i i feel like you know doing the hard things and don't be afraid of failure either you know a good thing right you know allowing yourself the opportunity to fail kind of um gives you the opportunity to let go of certain things to try not to hold on to try to not fail right so if we think of like we'll take our podcast example again and they're like, okay, well, you know, we don't really want it to fail, so let's let's see if we can market it to people first ahead of time before we have anything. Let's build a list of people. Let's, you know, let's go out and, you know, figure out what the best platform is. Let's figure out the best way to record this. And before we know it, we're just analyzing things without actually doing anything. Instead of just taking that leap and say, hey, you know what? You know, I know step one is to at least have a conversation and record it some way, somehow, right? <laughs> and now we can go on to step two. Well, we have to edit it somehow, right? Um, and, and that goes back to our, you know, doing hard things, doing them together, but also don't be afraid of failure. Um, and the best time to start anything is is right here and right now, right? <laughs> Amen. Yep. But I guess that's just me just rambling, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think there's some golden nuggets in there despite the interruptions. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's fine. And then um I, I just kinda wanna bring up a quote, you know, when we were talking earlier, you know, about younger generations and older generations and how people perceive each other, you know, without kind of s- some type of self awareness. Are you familiar with who Les Brown is? Um, no, Les Paul. No, not Les Paul. Uh, so, so Les Brown was, um, you know, this radio DGA in Miami. He's got a really great story, and you know, he had um, learning dis. You know, he had like some um, disabilities, and basically, you know, um, he wanted to do stuff. And one of his teachers was inf- very influential on him. And um, he always comes up with this quote, and he's like, you know, what his teacher said to him. He said. Um, it was don't let someone else's opinion of you. Um, <laughs> let me get it. I don't want. I don't want to butcher it here. Um, it's like don't let someone else's opinion of you become your reality, right? I think that's a worthwhile quote. Yeah. So, so I, I would recommend you you go back and look him up in some of his speeches, and he he goes and talk about being a young guy, right? That he was young and hungry, right? So he went to this radio station, and um, he's like, hey, I'd like to be a job as a broadcaster. You know, director says, well, you know, do you have any experience speaking on the radio? No, I don't. <laughs> he's like, well, do you have any jobs? Well, no, I don't. So he's like, then he came back tomorrow, right? He came back again. <laughs> he's like, hey, I'm here for a job. Um, so he just goes through this whole thing of like with his mindset, you know, um, and, and how he doesn't let someone else's opinion of them 
becoming his reality. Yeah, you know, and I think that's a a great mindset to help forge new opportunities. Um, You know, I think dialed into this idea of, um, you know, what's in it for the millennials. Well, really, if you think about, you know, tying it all back to where we originally started with this, it's what's in it for all of us, right? I mean, why shouldn't we all share in the same entitlements that we uh, tend to cast towards the millennials? Why, from a customer experience, shouldn't all of our preferences be based around making things more efficient, uh, more portable, uh, you know, um, less data intensive, uh, you know, all of, all of the things that, uh, again, seem to be these driving forces where initially we feel some form of resistance um, because that's kind of our own cultural storming going on, right? That's mm-hmm. it kind of a, a Tuckman's model for, uh, you know, really what's happening with these, these larger cultural impacts. Um, you know, because uh, really when you start to dissect a lot of the um, sort of outlines of complaints or, you know, criticisms or, you know, abrasions uh, that you hear that are uh, sort of framed around uh, that millennial demographic, you really start to pick it apart. And to me, it's like, yeah, but I mean, why would, why would we resist wanting to have that? Why can't we make uh, a path uh, to make all of that possible? Cause it sounds like we're all beneficiaries at that point. You know? <laughs> Let's see. I'd like to work less, make more money, uh, have more benefits, um, you know, make things easier. Uh, you know, you just keep going down the list and it's like, all right, so what are we resisting for? <laughs> Cause it's easier to hang on to the devil, you know? <laughs> yeah, I know. It's just, um, I, I, like I said, anytime someone says something about millennials and they're, and they get ready to say something like, well, millennials, like, I was like, okay, well, let's just strike millennial off of that. And let's just say the statement without it, <laughs> you know, cause, cause more than enough, you like, whether it's your users, your employee base, you know, your team members, you're never talking about one single generation, are you? <laughs> I mean, you're always leading teams across multiple generations or, or you have a user base that's multi-generational. Um, and I think it was Brian Kane when, when we had a conversation with him, um, you know, before when I was out in Denver and he was talking about that the research actually shows that older generations are better at using computers than the younger generation is, which, which surprised me, but, um, to point, you know, older generations, we had a harder time using computers, right? You used to have mm-hmm. to know how to use a command line to even do anything in a computer. Um, That's true. didn't have a mouse. So if, if you think about some of it, they've kind of grown with technology. And then I see people like my son who's four and he, he try he thinks everything's a touchscreen. So touch the TV, <laughs> like, why doesn't this work? <laughs> you know, um, but, but I digress. I forget where I was going with that, but, um, you know, but, well, but I would say anytime somebody says something about millennial, just, chop that off of that phrase that you're going to say and see if it stands true just to people in general. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a wise approach. Let me ask you this. Are there any books, Nick? I know you love, you know, your book list. So are there any books that, uh, that stand out that are uh, ones that you feel like kind of tackle this topic? (laughs) 
I, I think for me, um, geez, I don't know if I have any books per se on millennials. Um, you know, Har- Harvard Business Review kind of does a lot of good stuff about leading multi-generational teams. I would, I would say just look up for things like that. Um, anytime I see a book that says about millennials, I just, I'm just totally shut off about it. <laughs> what about you, Brian? Oh, you know, that's, that's a good question. Um, you know, I think, uh, I think a book like Rework, uh, is just sort of a good book that talks a lot about jettisoning some of these conventional perceptions that we have about how we do work, why we do work, you know, um, what should we really be doing about, you know, how we're managing uh, the business that we're in. Um, It's not really a book that targets specifically around anything generationally either. Um, But I think in terms of being a reflection of uh, a lot of what we've talked about, you know, what is sort of, you know, cast as, oh, that's a millennial kind of thing. Um, I think Rework is a book that, you know, it's a quick and easy read, and it kind of delves into a lot of those areas where, um, you know, pretty quickly you can have a better understanding of, hey, you know, why do all these things need to be this complex? We can actually strip this down to some of the basics um, and still have something that's really effective. And, something that people love you know I mean, what, what revolutionary concept is that um so i think that's a good one to to kind of throw in the mix yeah that, that's that's a very good one and and i'm gonna bring up dale carnegie's again how to was it how to win friends and influence people right and and i know i've mentioned that before on this podcast but it it's a great thing. Like you go back and you you read what was written in 1920, and you're like, oh my god, that's, that that applies to today. <laughs> I was going to say you're reaching back several generations beyond mine, my friend, to get to that. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> but I mean, just to me, it's it's like, um, and it just popped to my brain when you you said rework. But it's like you know, it has the same kind of concepts, right? Where it's like, hey, when you're talking to somebody, show a genuine interest. Don't fake being interested just actually generally be interested in them right you know and and ask some questions and it's just you know it it, the book is just great it stood the test of time i mean it's still like uh, probably on was it is it ink that posts the uh number one entrepreneurial books that entrepreneurs must read or something like that i can't remember it's one of those just like ink or entrepreneur magazine or something like that posts something like that and that's always on the list yeah yeah yeah, for good reason. All right. Well, this was, uh, this was an exciting topic. I'm glad you popped it on me today. Uh, thanks for joining us for another edition of the.exe. All right. Thanks.